Good morning, Three Rivers. Merry Christmas. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let me just remind you, um, we have all of our little ones in here today, and it is a blessing. And uh, we we give thanks for our children as we give thanks for the Christ child and what we celebrate this time of year. So just as a reminder, there is a mom's room over here uh, this way. So if you do need to step out with your child, that is okay. Um, but they are not bothering me. All right. I'm going to I'm going to preach fast if you'll listen fast. And uh, this will be good. Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel seven is one of the most critical verses in the big story of the Bible. And it's when God makes a covenant with David that he's going to establish David's kingdom forever. And so as we read this, uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter here. Uh, I am going to summarize uh, most of it. Uh, but David looks out at all of his kingdom. He looks at all the armies that he's conquered. He looks at all of his accomplishments. And he's sitting in his big palace one day and he says, God, the God that I worship is living in a tent. And I'm living in this big palace. I need to build God a house. And so he tells Nathan the prophet his plans and everything seems good. He's going to build this big temple. And then God speaks to Nathan the prophet. Who then speaks to David and God tells David, David, I never asked you to build me a house. In fact, I'm not I'm not going to let you build me a house, but I am going to build you a house and this kingdom that God's going to establish through the line of David. This promise is in Second Samuel, chapter seven. Verse, let's read verse 12, start in verse 12. This is what God promises to David. Second Samuel, chapter seven, verse 12 He says, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Everybody say that next word together forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This morning, we want to talk just for a few moments about the king The eternal king from David's line. The king from David's line. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your promise to David. That you would establish your kingdom. That you would send a son, a descendant of David. Whose kingdom would endure forever. And Father, as we celebrate Christmas this year. We we recognize that Jesus is the king. So would you help us to bow our hearts. To submit ourselves to the kingship of Christ today. And increase our joy as we look up to Jesus for who He is and what He has done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's two mistakes you can make at Christmas time. Two mistakes you can make with your children. Two mistakes you can make for yourself. The first mistake is it is wrong for us to think that Jesus remained a baby. 
to just think of him as sweet, cuddly little Jesus in that manger. That's not right. Right. He grew up to become a king. But it's also wrong to forget that he was a baby, that God took on flesh for us and came to ransom us from our sins. And what God did for us in the Old Testament is he made a covenant with David. David had had accomplished everything possible for a king to accomplish. He had everything. He had all the money. He had this huge palace. He had established peace in his kingdom. But he looks at the tabernacle, this tent that had been built back when Moses was still alive. And he says, it's not right for my God to be in that tent. I'm going to build him a house. And God says, no, you're not, David. Your son, Solomon, will build that house for me. But I'm going to make a covenant with you. And children, if you're listening, a covenant is a promise. It's a promise that God made to David. And he said, I'm going to keep this promise forever. What is a covenant? When God makes a covenant, this is John Piper's words. When God makes a covenant, he reveals his own job description and he signs it. In almost every case, he comes to the covenant partner He lays his job description out and he says, this is how I will work for you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. If you will love me as I am, if you will cling to me and trust me to keep my word. This is God's job description. And the job description that he gives for David is, David, you will not build a house for me. I will build a house for you. But how did we get here? We need to backtrack just a little bit to understand how we got to this promise to David. God's intent from the beginning was that God would reign over his people as king. That God would be the king of his people. And he would rule through the earthly relationship of an earthly king. And so when you read through the book of Judges, you find when the people of Israel don't have a king, they live in sin and everything goes wrong. We, we see at the end of Judges, it says that there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But that does not mean that God was not ruling over his people. Because right after the book of Judges, we have the book of Ruth. This love story between Ruth and Boaz, which is meant to tell a greater love story between God and his people. Through God's care and through God's providence, they have a child named Obed who's the grandfather of King David. And the purpose of the book of Ruth, right there in the book of Judges and 1 Samuel, is to introduce us to David. To show us that even in the darkness of God's people, God shines the light of His covenant. God is faithful. And so now we come to 1 and 2 Samuel, where God establishes the kings. But David is not the first king, is he? Who's the first king of Israel? It's Saul. And Saul turns out to be an utter failure. He disobeys God by acting like a priest. He disobeys God when he's supposed to destroy all of the Amalekites. And he doesn't do it. He keeps some of the livestock for himself, which he was supposed to destroy. And Saul shows us the very opposite of what it means to be a king of Israel. If you read Deuteronomy 17, you see the... The standard of a king. And Saul disobeys almost all of it. And so while Saul is still a king, God establishes another king. A king after his own heart, who's being drawn into leadership through no plan or will of his own. David is not looking to be the king. In fact, he's just watching his daddy's sheep. And so Samuel is sent to find this young shepherd boy, David, out of all the sons of Jesse, to anoint him as the king in place of Saul. 
And now David moves from being a shepherd of sheep to a savior of his people. Parents, don't teach your children that in the story of David and Goliath that your child can be the giant slayer. The whole point of that story is that David is a spirit-empowered boy who is raised up to slay Goliath. As all Israel retreats in terror from the Philistines and their champion Goliath, God's anointed king, who appears weak and insignificant, fights for his people knowing that the battle is the Lord's. And so David stands as a picture of Christ that day, who stands alone as the one in place of the many. And through Him, God works salvation for His people. You see, you and I are not David in that story. We are the fearful Israelites who cannot defeat the enemy. And we need someone stronger than us and more godly than us and more spirit-filled than us to stand in our place and to slay our giants. And so after David becomes king, he, he decides to build the He sets the capital in Jerusalem and he establishes worship there and he gives peace to God's people. And he wants to build a temple, but God will not let him. And so this is where God makes this this promise to him. And I want you to look back at verse 13. This is the promise of David's descendant. God says, David, your son will not build a house for me. I'll build a house for you. And here's the promise. Verse 13 of 2 Samuel 7. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I want to point out four words here that are important. Here are the four words. House, throne, kingdom, and forever. Let me read this verse again and notice these words. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. What do these words mean? When God tells David, I'm going to establish his house. That house is a promised lineage from David. David, your descendant will reign as king forever. It will be from your bloodline. That's what house means. The second word is throne. Throne emphasizes the authority of the king's rule. He will have a throne. He will have authority. He will sit on his throne and he will rule his people which refers to the third word. You have house, you have throne, but you got to have a kingdom. He'll have a kingdom. And what does kingdom mean? Kingdom refers to the people who are governed by this king. Can't have a kingdom if you don't have people to rule over. And so this descendant of David is going to have authority on his throne to rule over his people in his kingdom. And then there's that last word, forever. Forever emphasizes this is an eternal and unconditional promise of God to David and to Israel, which applies to us as well. When you read that word forever, three rivers, you ought to sit up and and look carefully. Because when he says forever, he implies that the kingdom that he establishes in David's day is still established now. God is, God is, He is shaping eternity here by saying, I'm gonna establish this kingdom forever. And so God tells David that after he died, his royal line would continue. And God would establish His kingdom forever. But we all know the story of David, don't we? Be careful that you don't put up David as a savior and a hero of himself because he wasn't. Three chapters later, when all the other kings go out to battle, David stays at home in the, in the palace. And he looks out over the 
courtyard and he sees a woman who is not his wife bathing and he looks at her with lust. Her name is Bathsheba. And what does he do? He commits adultery with Bathsheba and murders his husband. And then tries to cover it all up. But you can't cover up sin, can you? No, and David tries to cover it up, but it will not work. And so we find that David is not a perfect king. So now there's hope. Maybe Solomon will be that king. And so David has a son, Solomon. And this is the promised son. He's the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. It's Solomon who builds this house for God. It's Solomon who builds the temple. And it looks like everything's good because Solomon has peace in the kingdom. He's the wealthiest king to ever live. And he's the wisest king who's ever lived. Everything looks good. Now it looks like 2 Samuel has been fulfilled. But Samuel or Solomon disobeys Deuteronomy 17 as well. And he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And those women lead him into idolatry. And Solomon fails. And it's under Solomon's rule that the kingdom becomes divided after his death. And so unfortunately we see king after king after king in the Old Testament who fail ruling over God's people. The kingdom is divided between Israel and Judah. Sinful king after sinful king takes leadership. Jerusalem and Judah is attacked by the Babylonians. The people of God are overthrown. The temple is destroyed. And everything looks bad as the people are cast off into exile and they are enslaved by a foreign army. It appears that God's promise will not come true. How can you establish a kingdom forever, God, when your people are in slavery? Is God really going to be faithful to His promises? And yet, as the people are in exile, the prophets begin to preach. And they say that there is a coming king and God will be Faithful to his promises. And the Davidic kingdom will stand. And there will be a divine king who will come. It won't just be a Davidic king. It will be a divine king. Listen to some of the prophets as they began to preach. Jeremiah saw it clearly. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5 and 6. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and he will deal wisely and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. His name will be the Lord is our righteousness. And so Jeremiah begins to prophesy. But it's not just Jeremiah. Ezekiel gets in on the act and Ezekiel begins to preach about this king who is coming in Ezekiel 37. Verse 23 and 24. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. But Ezekiel and Jeremiah are not the only prophets who see this. If anyone saw the glory of God more clearly. And who saw this king most distinctly. It was the prophet Isaiah. Emmett read this just a minute ago. Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you hear this part? 
of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This king is going to establish David's throne. One more passage. Isaiah says it in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The descendants of David had been cut down and God's people were like a tree that had been cut down and the only thing that was left was a stump. And out of this stump comes a little shoot, a little branch. And he will bear fruit. Verse 10, Isaiah says that that root or that shoot will not only be a shoot, he's going to be the root. He's going to be the one who comes after David, but he's also going to be the one who comes before David. He's going to be the son of David, but he's also going to be the Lord of David. He's going to be both. And so the prophets in all of Israel's history continue to preach as king after king after king fails. God is going to keep his promises and God will establish his kingdom. And all the people continue to wait. And you get to the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi. And Malachi says that the son of righteousness will come and then... Four hundred years of silence. Can you imagine? It's awkward enough just standing up here for 60 seconds, right? (laughs) Somebody help the guy, right? Did his tablet go out? What happened? (laughs) Four hundred years of silence. God does not speak. And then you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we get this genealogy and we find out that this king is is really coming. He has been born, but he hasn't been born in a palace. He was born in a stable. And Luke chapter 1 says the time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's Mark chapter 1. And then Luke chapter 1, you see God's people in God's place for God's purpose. This angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Finally, the the angels come and you can you can feel the excitement rising as the angels come to the shepherds. 
And say, fear not, shepherds, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the full, perfect representation of the Father on high. He is the Word become flesh. And we have seen His glory. Later, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. John the Baptist's dad says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And we see the glory of Christ as He shows us the perfect representation of the Father. He is, as the divine King, He is saving a chosen people. This is what Peter preaches in, in the book of Pen, in the book of Acts, in that, la, in that first sermon, the very first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2. Peter tells us that this Davidic king is the divine king who came. And Peter says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who's come through David's line. The one you crucified was the seed of David and the Son of God. He was the Messiah and He was the Anointed One. And all the people that day say, Peter, what must we do? If this is true, if this Jesus is truly King whom we crucified, what must we do? And Peter tells them what I would tell you this morning. Repent. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Not only this, we find that when Jesus is King, He's not just saving Jewish people, but He's also bringing the Gentiles in as well. Right? Acts chapter 15, we don't have time to turn there, but there's a big controversy. Gentiles are starting to believe the Gospel. Gentiles are, are starting to come into this kingdom of God's people. Jesus is ruling and reigning well. His Spirit is going out among His people. He is building His church. And James quotes Amos 9 and says, this was all part of the plan of this King. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Jesus has come. This baby was born to bleed. When you celebrate Christmas, do not just get caught up in thinking that he was a baby, but remember that he was born to die. That that cute, cuddly little baby with those smushy little hands were fashioned by God Himself to be nailed to a Roman cross for you. That those sweet little baby feet were meant to be pinned to a tree. That that little head, that soft head of that baby was fashioned by the Creator to, to bear a crown of thorns and to bear the sins of mankind for you. And that sweet little baby body was meant and built and established and created and came into being and took on flesh so that a spear would be driven through His side and that He would bear our sins and He would carry our sorrows away. This is what Christmas is about. And this is what we celebrate, that this King who came in the form of a baby was born and lived and ruled well and said, the kingdom is here. It's here. Repent and believe the gospel. And that same King was crucified on a Roman cross and three days later conquered death and hell and was raised from the dead and says, if anyone will enter into my kingdom, he will repent of his sin. And so what I would tell you today Two things. Number one, put all your trust today in this King. 
Put all your trust in this king. No matter what your situation is, no matter what you're dealing with, whether you're at home and there's an empty seat at the table, and this is a difficult time at Christmas for you because you've lost a loved one, or someone in your family is dealing with sickness, or someone is is dealing with poverty, or struggling, or you're having a difficult time, Jesus is king, and He is on His throne, and He is ruling well today. And you can put your confidence in Him, no matter your situation. The truth is, we follow a shepherd greater than David today. A shepherd who truly lays down his life for his sheep. We trust a Savior greater than David who kills someone worse than Goliath. He kills the enemy of Satan and sin and death. And we worship a king today who is greater than David. The invitation I would give you today would come from Isaiah 55. And so I would urge any of you in here who have never believed the gospel, there's no better day to believe the gospel than on Christmas Eve. Right? There's no better day to to believe and trust in Christ. So listen to Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. The mercy and faithfulness that guarantees David an eternal kingdom can guarantee you today all the joy and righteousness and peace of that kingdom. What God is saying today This morning is if you will come to him empty handed and hungry, willing to receive what he has to give, then he will write today in your presence a job description and bind himself with an oath to treat you forever with the same mercy and faithfulness that he demonstrated to to David. And listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 22. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. Let him who is thirsty Come, let him who desires to take the water of life, take it without price. Come to the son of David this morning. Come to the king of kings and he will sign with his own blood your personal copy of the job description that he has written for himself to be God to you. And he will give to you an eternal covenant never to turn away from you of doing good. Trust in this King and proclaim His kingdom to the nations. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And let every heart prepare Him room. Now I'm going to say something here. We're going to sing. And if there's ever a day for Christians to sing, it is this day. So I'm going to say something to all of you, especially the adults in this room. You are setting an example for your children in worship right now. And I'm going to say something. This is not in the Bible. I could be wrong in saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. On this day, if you're a Christian, if you're not singing, you're sinning. If you're not singing, you're sinning. It is a command for us to worship. And you may not be a good singer at all. That does not matter to God. Sing. Sing. 
We have no greater thing to celebrate today than that Christ has come for us and He has incarnated Himself and taken on flesh. He has been crucified for our sins and you bear your sins no more. And He has been raised from the dead. He is seated on His throne. He is ruling well as your King today. Worship Him with joy and gladness. Let's sing to the Lord. Can we do that this morning? Let's sing. Would you stand as we worship together?